They're so awesome. So excited to be here with you guys today. Um, I want to, again, just one more time, if you are joining us for the first time, please take some time to fill out that Connect card. We don't want to miss that opportunity to connect with you. And also, we want to encourage you to take your Go Deep guides at your table and follow along today and take some notes. Take those home and make those a part of your uh, devotions this week. If you... Excuse me, if you are in here and you did not receive a Go Deep guide on your way in, would you raise your hand real quick so we can get you one? All right, we got one over here. Amir needs one. Anybody else? Beautiful. That means they did a great job getting those out. All right, so yeah, if you would just jot down. Oh, one over here. Malida needs one. Thank you so much. Um, jot down what you feel God's speaking to you this morning. It's going to be an incredible time. Today, we are beginning a new series entitled The Grinch with N. I'm having a lot of fun with this. And Christmas is one of those seasons that sometimes doesn't accomplish what it was intended, intended to accomplish, okay? Um, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of holy days that were established. And these holy days were established for a particular reason. They were to remind us and the generations that follow of God's faithfulness. Remind us of what God did, because how many of you know that it is within our human nature to forget? And what happens when we forget? We drift. We go astray. We lose our focus, which, which means we lose our direction, and we end up going down a very dark path of hopelessness and despair. And I fear that we fall into the same scenario that we, we fall into when we look at the Old Testament that these holy days sort of lost their meaning at different times throughout uh, the Old Testament with the people of Israel. Uh, because as they forgot what God did, they began to worship other gods and their heart became hardened. And suddenly these holy days lost their meaning and they just became a part of tradition. And, and even I think it's in Jeremiah, which he even criticizes their fasting saying that you're fasting in vain because the kind of fasting I want is different than the type of fasting you're offering. And I think that today the American Christian falls into the same trap when it comes to Christmas. I fear that when it comes to Christmas, it becomes less and less about the birth of Jesus and what that means for you and me, and more and more about spending way too much money, stressing out about plans and all the food that we have to cook, and if, if, we, if we're not careful, we can actually reach a point. Let me tell you, especially as a parent, sometimes there can be a stage in your life as a parent where you begin to resent the holiday because of all the extra hustle and bustle and stress that it brings. What a shame. Because here's the deal. If we don't use Christmas for what it was intended to, to do, is, which is to slow down and to consider what Jesus coming in human form, what that baby lying in the manger actually means, if we don't use it was what it was intended for, Satan will use it for something that it was never intended for. How tragic when a day meant to keep us clinging to God's hope becomes the distraction that causes us to let go of it. And so to prevent that from happening, we want to take some time today to slow down and to truly consider what this season is all about so that God can do what he wants to do in each and every one of us. When someone loses hope, it's no pretty thing, is it? Uh, any parents in here experience when your child loses hope and how they respond? Oftentimes, it's that child got caught, 
right? They got caught for something that they thought they were getting away with. And when you explain to them what the consequence of their decisions has brought them, it feels like all is lost, that there's no hope in sight, that this is so bad that it couldn't get any worse. And I've lost so much, I feel like I'll never earn it back. And what happens when that child sinks into that level of depression? They may maybe throw temper tantrums, right? They maybe lash out because they want you to feel the pain that they're feeling at the loss. Maybe they lose all sight of hope. And so as a result, maybe they're the child that just sits there and weeps and cries and refuses to move. They lose all motivation to do what is right. And, and that can be a delicate ba- balance as a parent, right? Because you wanna, you wanna be um, strict with your kids when it's important, but then if you discourage the hope, then there's no way to keep them motivated to do what's right. And it's this delicate balance, right? Well, you know what? In so many ways, we're no different than children. It may not come out as a screaming, uh, crying, stomping temper tantrum, but there's something very, very dark that takes place when we lose grip on our hope. Amen? Anybody ever been there? Things happen that cause us to lose perspective, and as a result, hope can quickly give way to despair. But as Christians, if we believe what the word of God tells us and we've experienced God's goodness, we understand that we've been given a gift and God's gifts are irrevocable. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which produces the fruit of the Spirit, which interestingly enough, the fruit of the Spirit, as described in the book of Galatians, contains four things that are emphasized around the Advent season, hope, joy, peace, in love. And Christmas is meant to remind us of these gifts that we have been given through Jesus so that we don't forget and in this scenario give way to despair. And so you'll see here I've got a Christmas tree and one of these presents under the tree is marked with a label of hope. Because the coming of Jesus, which was Emmanuel, right, which means God with us, It's an understanding that God with us would soon become God within us. And that's what makes the fruit of the Spirit possible in our life. But oftentimes, it's not just what happens to us that robs us of the hope that God gives us. Amen? But rather, it's the Grinch within that begins creeping around our minds. The moment we begin to neglect the time spent in God's presence. And when we fail to remind ourselves of truth, he sees an opportunity and he makes a break for stealing our hope. Hey, what's going on, man? You dropped that present, you get out of here. All right, you don't have to worry about that guy anymore. Because he's not going to be allowed to steal away our hope this morning, amen? Because our hope is in Jesus, and it cannot be taken away, but it can be given away. That was really fun to kind of just really let him have that. (laughs) Or her. We don't know who it is. Okay, now you guys are going to try to spend the rest of the time trying to figure out who the Grinch really is. This is what happens, though, because as we lose sight of the hope that we have, there's something else that rises up within us. It's that ugly nature 
that we know we all have inside of us. Raise your hand if you realize that at times there's a Grinch within. Okay? And so we have to recognize that. And so to better help us understand this, I've written a song this morning to serve as a reminder of the hope that we have so that we can recapture what was stolen and overcome the Grinch within. Y'all ready to hear it? All right, let's hit it, maestro. I think I was supposed to sing it. You're a bleak one, Grinch within. You're the hopelessness I feel. When I'm overwhelmed by sadness and it feels I'll never heal, Grinch within. And when I need a hand, you offer a hook and a reel. You're a monger, Grinch within. Your fear creates a hole. You fill my brain with lies and my hope you broke and stole, Grinch within. But Jesus restored it, filling hundreds of prophecies over 4,000 years old. All right. Amen. Got off on the timing on that somehow, but hopefully you still enjoyed it. Sometimes we get so distracted by life that we fall asleep spiritually. And if we're not intentional, it happens to the best of us. We allow that Grinch of despair to prowl around our minds unchallenged and steal our hope. And that's what we're gonna try to avoid this Christmas season. So now we're gonna take a break and at our tables, I wanna have this discussion. What has life thrown at you that at times has led to the Grinch within rising up to steal away your hope? And how does God want to use the Christmas season to reconnect you to him and restore your hope? So let's talk about it, and then we're going to dig into God's word. All right. Hopefully you had some great discussions at your table. I know we did it at ours. The Grinch Within. I believe that the... Inception, well, I think we all believe this if we think of it biblically. The inception of the Grinch within is directly tied to the fall of man. Adam and Eve found themselves in a similar position as the child we described. They uh, had been given the ultimate gift, which was intimacy with their creator, the closest fellowship with nothing in between, walking with him in the garden. Can you imagine and of course, we know that Genesis tells us that he placed them in this paradise and said, you can eat of every tree except for this one tree in the middle. And we know, of course, what happened. Eve first took of the fruit, then she gave some to her husband. And so they both rebelled against God. Uh, they took everything that he had given them. They did not value it. They threw it away for one taste of something that they felt that they needed, that they couldn't have. And suddenly, the Bible says that for the first time in their creation, in their existence, they felt shame. And if you guys could just stop for a moment and think to the, the, the heaviest moment in your life where you were overwhelmed by shame. And think about that times 10 
because it was the first time they ever experienced it. And the weight of what they had done began to settle upon them to a point where they decided, we're just gonna cover it up. But it all came to a crescendo when they heard God walking in the garden and he called out, man, where are you? And it was right then that they knew that they in trouble. And so as they begin to confess, they didn't quite own up to what they did, right? They made excuses, but none of those excuses could uh, give them the ability to escape the punishment that was about to come. God confronted them. Their deeds were exposed. They were guilty and hopeless under the judgment of Almighty God. Can you just think of what that felt like physically in their heart? You know, sometimes as I've taken some of my kids to therapy in the past, they want them to identify, when you feel angry, where do you feel it in your body? When you feel anxious, where do you feel it in your body? Because they're trying to give them a connection to what happens in their body and what they feel. So for a moment, let's, let's think about what they would have experiencing in their body, what you would have been feeling in your body, knowing that the creator of the universe is speaking with his authoritative voice and he says, you've been caught. You can't escape it. You're guilty. But what I love is God does not just use his voice to bring judgment, but even in the midst of his judgment, he makes a promise and he inserts hope into a hopeless situation. And this is found in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And he's actually responding to the serpent. He's responding to Satan but in his response of the consequence, he's also giving a word of prophecy, of hope, that people would wait for for generations to come. He says, and I will cause hostility between you, Satan the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, or he will strike your head, yeah, and you will strike his heel. And ever since that day, the evil one has been striking at our heels. Anybody feel that? There's, it's like there's, there's this force that's striking at our heels, trying to trip us up, trying to get us to stumble, trying to wound us, trying to get us to fall. But this prophecy and this promise was fulfilled through Jesus in the manger and then Jesus on the cross and Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. This enemy, this Grinch within, as we're calling him playfully today, is real and he's at work in our lives today and he continues even though the cross has already happened even though victory has already been paid for he uses distractions he uses trials he uses temptations to raise up the grinch within and as we take time this christmas to slow down and deeply consider the meaning of god's journey from heaven's throne to the manger may you recapture the hope that you've lost and overcome the Grinch within. So this morning, I wanna briefly share three reasons Christmas gives us to have hope in every situation. Father, we pray this morning that you would just illuminate your word. We recognize scripture's authority over our lives. God, that, that we don't reinterpret scripture to fit culture, but scripture is true and it reshapes us and we reshape culture. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would penetrate every heart today in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll look with me at uh, Romans chapter 15, verse eight, Paul says something about hope. 
that we want to look at today. He says, remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. That line in the song, right? That he restored our hope by fulfilling a prophecy over 4,000 years old is based on this prophecy, the first messianic prophecy given in scripture, that it would be from the seed of a woman and specifically Jesus Christ who came from Mary and came from God that he would crush the head of the enemy. And what we're reminded about when we think of Christmas is this. Number one, he kept his promise. It's that simple. He kept his promise. And so we find ourselves, as we read about the beginning of the story of Christmas, one of the most famous parts of scripture is found in Luke chapter two, when shepherds were in a field taking care of sheep in the middle of the night. And let's stop for a moment and consider, let's put our, our, our feet in the shoes of these shepherds, the sandals probably, right, of these shepherds. These are shepherds uh, probably uh, as a profession that had been handed down from generation to generation. And what had also been handed down from generation to generation was stories of old, of God's faithfulness and goodness. But we also know that as we read the scriptures, there's this period of time known as these 400 years of silence, right? Where the, the, the last scripture recorded in Malachi that spoke of John the Baptist and Jesus coming, um, there was then 400 years of silence where there's, there's no written scripture or record that we have of God speaking through prophets um, to his people. And so it, just generation after generation, it was, just, it, was, it was up to tradition. It was up to parents sharing the stories of God's faithfulness and their history and their heritage and them, them growing up having children sharing it with their children. But how many of you know that sometimes after a story is passed down from generation to generation, it quickly can turn to, to legend in their hearts? Like, this is really neat. It's this cool thing we tell each other, but, but it's really, it's nothing more than Santa Claus, something we tell our children to get them to behave, right? Um, sorry for any, yeah, we'll just skip over that. Um, right? It's these things that we do. Don't give me that. You should be more concerned that your kids have faith in Jesus. I'm just saying. All right. And so it's, it's just after generation, generation, they, they finally come to a point where, you know what? I've been waiting my whole life for the Messiah to come. My parents were waiting their whole lives for the Messiah to come. My grandparents have been waiting their whole lives for the Messiah to come. And finally, it comes down to the point where he's like, is he ever going to come? And here they find themselves in a field just going through the daily grind. This is their entire existence. They live with these sheep. They sleep with these sheep. They eat with these sheep. And can you imagine the hopelessness that, that could have been potentially weighing on these shepherds to the point where maybe they didn't even give the coming of the Messiah a second thought anymore. And it is in that moment and in this context that God shows up and the sky lights up and angels declare this wonderful news. In Luke 2.10, it says, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. 
and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. What made this so amazing is that a promise was fulfilled at a time when I'm sure many had started to lose hope. Why is that encouraging for us today? Why is that important for us to understand? Because as time causes hope to fade away, this is a reminder for every Christian in here this morning that no amount of time will ever cancel a single word that God has ever spoken. And so the presence of trials and struggles or just the season of waiting that you find yourself in today has no effect on the promises that God has made. Every promise that he made will be fulfilled. Paul goes on to say later in the chapter in verse uh, 13, Romans 15, 13, he says, I pray that God, the source of hope. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, he's the source. But sometimes we forget that and we turn to other things for, for hope right? We think our source for hope is like what Marty said earlier. It's in our job, or maybe it's in relationships, or maybe it's just the hope that circumstances will change, but all those things are fleeting. God is the source of hope, and when we turn to other things for our source of hope, it leads to despair, and that Grinch within rises up within us. He goes on to say, um, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace, because why? Because you trust in him. You trust in the one who kept his promise. Then it says you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole nother level of hope, isn't it? That's not just clinging, I'm not gonna give up, but that's overflowing with hope. How many of you know when you overflow with something, that means you've got more to spare? You've got hope to spare and you've got hope to share. That rhymed in honor of Dr. Seuss, right? You have hope to spare and you have hope to share. And I'm telling you, whatever you're going through today, that God has given you hope to spare and hope to share. I love how Paul's prayer for the church in Rome is not for God to change their circumstances. He doesn't even mention that, but instead, he prays that they'd have hope in spite of them. His prayer is that we, as Christians, would supernaturally overflow with the hope that only the Holy Spirit can bring to us, no matter the circumstance. And it started with a baby in a manger. Not only did he keep his promise, but because we were powerless to come to him, number two, he came to us. That is so significant. Lean in and hear this. Lean in in your spirit. You were powerless. There was nothing you could do then, and there is nothing you can do now. The reason why you have hope is not because you came to God, but because he came to you. Not because you chose him, but because he first chose you. His hope is a gift, and he gave it to you. No one else can take it away. Our understanding of God from the beginning has been limited and there was this chasm between us created by sin. And God was not okay with that. He said, I created my creation for the purpose of intimacy, for the purpose of relationship. 
and they broke it. They ruin it, but it's not beyond repair. I'm going to go the extra mile and I'm going to come to them. John says in John chapter one, verse 14, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. I want you to think about something real quick. In the Old Testament, we read about Moses, a man that was so hungry to experience God's glory that he begged him to show him his face. He just wanted to know him more. He wanted to understand him more. There was a groaning within his spirit that says, God, I want more of you. And God said, okay, I'm gonna allow my glory to pass before you. And the only way he could do that was to put Moses into a cleft of a rock so that he would be blocked and protected. He held his hand over him while he passed over him so that he could see his rear side because that was all his human body could handle. And still, that wasn't enough for your creator. Could you imagine and understand this, that if God were to show up in this room in all his glory today, we would turn to the salt just like that? But God desired to be so close to you. He desired to have a relationship so intimate with you that he did the only thing he could do to come near. He put on flesh. He was born of a virgin so that the people of the time could stand eye to eye with him and not be consumed. We only had this shadowy uh, reflection and understanding of the character of God, the love of God, and although he reveals so much about himself in nature, God put flesh on so that we could experience him with our five senses and so that we could see what intimacy with the Father looks like up close when a human being is fully surrendered. This is incredible. This is no small thing that we celebrate this isn't about tradition. It's not about gifts under the tree. It's not about caroling. It's not about all these great things that we do. It's not about the Christmas movies that come on. It's not about the time off from school, students. It's not about any of those things. It's about a God that you are so far away from and you could do nothing about it that said, I will move heaven and earth. I will step into your dark world that you broke and you made a mess of just so I can be with you. That love should radically transform our hearts. Paul says in Philippians 2.6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Did we, 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 we've considered how far he came, but can we stop for a moment and consider what he left behind? What he stepped out of in order to step in to us. He says he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Can, can, we, can we feel the weight of those words? That the king of kings and the lord of lords, the prince of peace, stepped out of the throne and put himself in the position of a slave. There's no greater contrast. There's no greater distance that he could cover for you and me. And that's what he did. He says he was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You serve a God this morning that has nothing left to prove. 
Sometimes we struggle to trust people for two reasons. One, we've both gone back on our word and we've had people go back on their word for us. And we all have that situation. We make a promise that we can't live up to. Hey, circumstances change. Um, what I promised you, it proved to be too difficult. But Jesus proved that no matter how difficult the circumstances become, he's gonna follow through on his word. That's a hope. That is a hope. See, we trust people who've been there for us in our toughest times. You probably have those people in your life. Hopefully you're blessed enough to have those people in your life that have been there for you in your toughest times. Like when you call them up in the middle of the night and you say, Jason, I'm in excruciating pain and it's 2 a.m. and I'm sorry, but I can't leave my, my kids at home alone. Can you take me to the ER? And he says, I'll be right over. And he takes you to the emergency room. And I trust this man behind the cameras today. And he's gonna kill me because this is the second time I've publicly humiliated him, right? But I trust him because he's been there for me in the toughest of times. But Jesus has the ultimate credit. Because if he did it, then we can know that he'll do it again. Because of what he did, we also have access to this hope in any circumstance at all times. Check this out. Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's a really good image right there. Anchor of the soul, something that's tethered to your soul that keeps it from drifting off with the battering waves and the winds that we face in life, the storms in life. It says, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We sang earlier, the veil torn before you. That's what that line's talking about. It says, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. An anchor is something that is tied to you. It's not some far off distant hope or simply something to look forward to. But an anchor, because of what Jesus did, he gave us a connection. Hope was tied to us and it has a personal and direct tie to our souls. But an anchor only does its job as long as we remain connected to it. And we're also reminded in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is the amplified version. It says, looking away from all that distracts, that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus. Isn't that what we're talking about today? How we get distracted by the holiday itself and by the things of life. So the answer is we look away from it. This word looking in the, in the Greek is from this word that means looking away from all else to fix one's gaze upon something else. In order to gaze upon the beauty of my lovely wife, I have to turn away from the crowd and zoom in on her. And let me tell you, it's a sight to see. How you doing? Problem is we become distracted and we turn toward other things for hope. You can't do that without untethering yourself from the anchor of your soul. He's the only one who can provide hope in every situation. It's up to us to keep that connection going. Uh, he goes on to say, still in the amplified version, Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. 
the first incentive for and belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority and the completion of his work. It's impossible to fully receive the hope of the manger without the full context of the cross and the resurrection. You'll probably always hear me reference the cross around Christmas time. See, people who will help you out, as long as it doesn't cost them too much, are a dime a dozen. But Jesus finishes what he starts, and he always keeps his word. The same Lord that saved your soul is the same God that will maintain your hope through every cross that you have to bear. Remember to fix your eyes on him this Christmas season and not on all the stuff that comes attached to it. Not only did he keep his promise and not only did he come to us, but number three is this, he's coming back again. Let's not rush through the season of Christmas. Every year I feel like the conversation is the same every single year. I can't believe it's already Christmas. I can't believe December is here so fast. And I've said this before, but I've finally come to understand what that term over the hill means. I knew it always meant that you're old, but now I understand it's when you get over the hill, everything starts speeding up. And so the last half of your life goes faster than the first. But we have to understand not to rush through this season and miss the fact that the time of his return is approaching. And again, We can have confidence because he went so far as to come born of a virgin as a baby lying in a manger. He came so far as to give his life on the cross. He came so far as to three days later overcome death, hell, and the grave. He came so far as to ascend into heaven that we can be sure today that he's coming back again. I want to invite someone to come up and get on the keys here. Not just someone. Don't. They know who they are. Uh-oh, Mary's coming. All right, we're going to wrap up with this. Are you guys getting blessed from this? you challenged by this, encouraged by this? John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. I love this. This is such a tender moment between Jesus and his disciples. He knows that the end is approaching. And by the end, we really mean the beginning. But that his death is approaching. And this is what he says to his disciples. Because they must have had troubled hearts or he wouldn't have said this, right? They're getting a feeling. He's, he's telling them stuff that's hard to hear. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. This isn't what we had planned, right? Jesus, what are you telling us? And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Let me tell you this morning that God would say the same thing to you. It's not his desire that any of you would let your hearts be troubled this Christmas season. But he says, trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. Come on, somebody say amen. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is like, I don't just say stuff. There's no hot air involved. If I tell you I'm going to prepare a place for you, that means I'm saving a spot and I'm coming back. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. 
And it is in this sentence that Jesus Christ sums up and reveals the very heart of God, that there's nothing he desires more than to be with you for all of eternity. That doesn't sound like something we should breeze by, does it? That doesn't sound like something that um, we could do justice by just focusing on the gift giving and the, the food and the fellowship with family. It's so much more than that. He's coming back. I remember um, as a young child, um, my dad, he had this like super, super brief fighting career uh, in boxing. But you know how dads are, right? They tell the story as if like, I had all this potential, but you know, something happened, right? You got the big injury or you just decided it wasn't for you or God pulled you in a different direction. That's my favorite thing, right? The pastor that's like, I could have went all pro, but I gave it all up for the ministry. My dad used to just tell me all these stories about how he only had three fights, right? But he would talk about how he was so quick that he had a sparring match with this uh, Golden Glove champion of Illinois and the guy couldn't even touch him. He'd just dance around like he was a white Muhammad Ali, you know? So I grew up thinking my dad was like a superhero. I remember one time I did nothing but step outside my front door of my apartment complex. Three older boys jumped on me, grabbed me and started punching me in the stomach. I crumbled to the ground, unable to breathe. And as they began to walk away, you know what I said? Just wait till my dad gets home. See that same child that we talked about at the beginning that loses all hope and sinks in despair and throws a temper tantrum or um, loses all motivation, refuses to budge. That same child regains hope at the thought that their father is coming home. That their father will come to their defense. Does it feel today like you're going through disappointments, failures, and trials, and they're giving way to your inner Grinch? Does it feel like someone has stolen your hope? Rest assured this morning that Jesus is coming soon. Just wait till dad gets home. You might be in the room today, and you say, man, I'm, I'm hearing all this stuff about hope. And I'm hearing all this stuff about God as a father. And I'm not sure I have that this morning. Could I ask us all just to take a moment right now and to bow our heads and close our eyes? Because John tells us in that same chapter, just two verses earlier, he says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God you're in the room today and you do not yet have a relationship with God through his son Jesus you haven't turned to him for salvation and for forgiveness of everything you've done wrong and you say I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today and I want to become a child of God if you're in the room and you want to make that decision today publicly would you please raise your hand right now because together we're going to pray a prayer with you anybody in the room awesome I see one hand anybody else Praise God. We want to extend this invitation to those watching online as well. So I'm going to invite the entire congregation to say this prayer of salvation. And if you guys would repeat after me, and if you're watching online, you want to know Jesus today, say this prayer with us. If 
you say it in faith, you'll receive him as your Lord and Savior today. Repeat after me. Say, Father God, thank you. You see me. You know everything I've done, both good and bad. And you still chose to send your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin. I believe you died. And I believe you rose again. Forgive me of my sins. I pray your Holy Spirit would come and live inside of me. And I commit to live my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Can we just give a, a hand clap for those who said that prayer for the first time? And just real quick, if you're in the room and you said that prayer today for the first time, would you just lift your hand up real quick because we want to make sure you get a Bible before you leave today? Anybody? I know it's scary to get on the spot, but we just wanted to have a chance to celebrate with you. If you were too scared to raise your hand, come see me afterwards because I want to get you that Bible and talk to you about what's next. Amen? So here's what we're going to do, guys, as we close. is What we're about to do is we're going to share at our tables something that reminds us of the incredible faithfulness of God. Something that reminds us that he'll always keep his word no matter what it costs. I'd like to invite you to stand. And we're about to step into communion. Communion, uh, the way that we uh, uh, partake of it here uh, consists of two cups that you'll find in these trays. Um, and they're stacked on top of one another. The bottom cup has a cracker in it. The top cup has some grape juice. The juice represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And the cracker represents his body that was broken for you and me, beaten and bruised. He paid the penalty for our sins. If you're in here today and you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to partake of this with us. So right now as the, began, the, the, began, the band begins to play, we just wanna invite you to move out of your seats, grab your cups. And so there's two tables over here, two tables over there, but go ahead and begin to make your way right now. You can come back to your tables and you can go ahead and be seated. And I'm gonna ask my table host, I'm gonna spring something on you. You're gonna lead them in communion today, okay? Can we handle that table host? So you're gonna lead your table in communion. Amen. Wow, what an amazing service we got to be a part of today just to hear the word. I just have a couple of announcements for you guys as you guys close up prayer at your tables and then we step into a time of offering. Our first announcement today is that we have our Christmas concert on December 10th at 6 p.m. So that's next Sunday. Yes, it's gonna be such an exciting time. There is just gonna be so much fun happening here. You guys aren't gonna wanna miss coming to be a part. And I just want to encourage you guys to check out the app because we have so many more events happening here in the next month. We have so many that the app has all of them. And while you're in the app, you can check out one of our many ways to give. And our other two are going to be the address on the screen. And then we have buckets in the back for you to give. Have a great week, church. If you are available to stay, it would be so helpful if you guys could help us move the tables. Have a great week.